0: Certainly, sometimes it's quicker where everyone's amicable and pragmatic. Sometimes it's longer where people are fighting on principle. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm.
1: Welcome to episode 312 of Text Talks. This is Heide Robson, and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. What happens if, within all these lockdowns, you and your business partner no longer see eye to eye, and one of you wants to get out? Here's Scott McKenzie of Velocity Legal in Melbourne with some insights about business co-ownership disputes, or, in short, business breakups.
0: the reality is that there's just a bit of extra pressure applied and whether it's in a kind of matrimonial context or whether it's in a kind of business relationship context, there's still that added kind of, yeah, I guess fuel being added to the fire. The easiest and the hardest to separate is a really good question. There's that baseline where there's always going to be a little bit, a couple of headaches, but then there are additional factors, whether it's a really complex structure or, you know, a lot of co-owners that makes it harder. In terms of what makes it easy, I think it's probably easier to kind of point to personality kind of factors that come into it because they really are one of the key determinants around whether it's going to be a rocky road or Or quite a treacherous one. So, in the easier separation examples, you often see business partners that understand that they need to just amicably and quickly separate with as little kind of pain on either side as possible and not try to fight everything on principle. So, yeah, often becomes easier when people are very pragmatic understand that the separation needs to take place and they don't get caught up in the games.
1: And then the opposite is I'm going to show him now. He has already taken so much from me. I'm not going to let him take even more. I think when people come to the table with that frame of mind, then it's probably a lot harder.
0: Absolutely right. And it's when people see the trees, not the forest as well, when they get so caught up fighting about little insignificant things that the other person did or, you know, they feel really aggrieved by some action that was taken rather than taking a step back and thinking, okay, we need to separate. How can I get to that end goal as quickly as possible?
1: When you see a good breakup, do you find that usually they're also come up with a split that feels fair or do you then often see an unfair outcome because one person just gets completely pulled over the table?
0: No, usually in those examples, both parties do end up with a fair outcome because usually what happens is both parties are actually focused on allowing the person who's staying to have continuity with the business and not creating a disruption there, and then the person leaving having the platform to do whatever they want to do in future. And where it's quite amicable, both parties recognize that, hey, we had this business relationship together. It didn't work out for whatever reason, but ultimately, you know, there's no animosity. So, let's just both go and, and live our separate lives and, and hopefully in a successful way.
1: Do you even see the amicable breakups? You probably don't.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, the, the amicable ones are the unicorns. <laughs> um, they, they are out there. And look, occasionally we do see those, but they are very significantly outnumbered by the messy, complex, bitter, acrimonious, unpleasant ones.
1: And then do you find it matters how much the exit has been planned beforehand?
0: In these situations, there are several very common reasons as to why the exit is having to take place and, or, or as to why the business relationship is just untenable. And one of the very common themes that we see is where someone feels like the goalposts are being shifted on them Or where they feel like the other partner simply isn't performing. And if you think about both of those examples, if during kind of the honeymoon phase of the the business co-ownership arrangement, if during that very, you know, happy and amicable phase, they had have turned their mind to these specific things in terms of, well, I mean, what should our expectations be of each other? What kind of performance standards do we have? And what happens if one of us significantly outperforms the other? And, you know, if you think about those kind of things up front and you get it documented appropriately, then a lot of these very difficult business exit arrangements simply either don't happen because everyone was on the same page. So, there's no scope for hostility to come up in future or alternatively, if it does happen, there's then a rule book that everyone can refer back to and say, okay, well, I'm overperforming, I'm underperforming, I'm doing ABC versus what was expected of me and therefore, the outcome under the contract is is quite a specific one. So, everyone's on the same page. And by having those difficult conversations upfront during the honeymoon phase, a lot of these disputes that we see, like they could have been avoided if those conversations were had. In terms of that kind of business prenup, <laughs> depending on the, the nature of the business and the structure, it'll likely be you know a shareholders agreement a partnership agreement or a unit holders agreement but the the same guiding principles apply that you just want to get on the same page about what the expectations are and what happens if one of these kind of armageddon scenarios does arise uh, in addition to those factors that we we commonly see and another couple of examples of where these Uh, I guess, business exits and these business disputes come up are where there's been some kind of wrongdoing by one of the business partners. So, for example, they've gone and take some money out of the, the business bank account without authority or they've taken some asset or, you know, they've done something else inappropriate. And another very common scenario that we see is, where there's simply been a change in circumstances. So, at one point in time, it may have been, you know, it may have made sense for someone to have entered into this business uh, partnership with someone else, but in future, for whatever reason, it may not be as appropriate, whether someone's just had enough of working and, you know, they they want to retire or whether they, they're no longer interested in working in the relevant industry or if their financial circumstances change.
1: Do you find that the agreements they entered into at the start, so the shareholder agreement or partnership agreement or unit holder agreement, do you find that that those agreements usually cover the exit sufficiently or do you almost always see an agreement that you wish had been more detailed?
0: Ah, oh, it's almost always the latter. <laughs> you know, the it, it is hard to predict up front with a, you know, you've got to get your crystal ball out and try to work out what's going to happen in future with the business. It's hard to contemplate every potential scenario However, a well-drafted agreement should provide appropriate mechanisms so that if any of these very common scenarios come up, there's a sensible pathway with very clear timing aspects and very clear valuation methodologies. And if that happens, which to be honest, it's quite rare that we see one of these disputes which has a very good kind of contract which helps to to navigate the exit, but in the situations where there is something quite good in place, it makes the exit far less painful because there's a very clear process that has to be followed and it it turns to what is the process that we're all following rather than everything's up for negotiation.
1: What's usually the biggest point of contention?
0: the valuation is a very hot topic in most scenarios, and what we often see is one business partner will go and get a valuation from someone who's a very friendly valuer, perhaps a close connection of theirs, and that price will be favourable to them, and then the other party perhaps undertakes a similar process, and then there's a lot of discussion around, well, what is the fair value? Often in those scenarios, you see an independent valuer appointed to come to a more precise determination. But yes, certainly valuation is a key issue. In terms of other key issues, we often see a really interesting dynamic around who stays and who goes because sometimes both partners or all of the partners feel very invested in the business that they've created. And they recognise that it's an untenable relationship with everyone continuing to co-own it, but it's not particularly clear who goes and who gets forced out or who, you know, sells their equity versus who gets to stay. So, that is a, that's a very common um, kind of sticking point. And then where there is an exit scenario where someone's agreed that they will exit and the other people will stay, another very common sticking point is, well, what do they get to take with them? Do they get to take all the client relationships with them? Are they allowed to set up a competing business over the road? It, it can get quite, uh, quite interesting in terms of what the post-exit arrangements look like.
1: Is the who stays and who, who goes, wouldn't that be the easiest to work out? Because then it means you basically just have to find a, a value for which the first person is happy to go.
0: It's interesting because what you often see in these situations is evaluation will be – if evaluation is agreed by the parties – one of the parties could say, well, look, I've contributed to creating all of that historical value so much more than the rest of you have. So, even though there is this valuation that we think is fair for the the business overall, I shouldn't have to pay as much if I was to exit. Oh, sorry, if the other people were to exit. And equally, if I was to exit, then I should get a huge premium on the value that I get because really I created a lot of that. So, the situation can be quite unique, but yeah, it's there's a lot of almost counterintuitive <laughs> discussion that pops up around the valuation and and often it's, um, it's not quite as simple as uh, pick a high figure and work your way down because there's a lot of There are often feelings of I've contributed more or if I leave, then I should be able to take my clients, for example. And then you've got to factor in, well, how do we deal with those variables in the price? We often see in professional services businesses, a lot of emphasis being placed on the fact that relationships with clients are highly personal and if someone was to leave a business and and go elsewhere and get paid on the way out there's often absolutely no guarantees that that client would actually stay with the original business so certainly in professional service firm contexts the emphasis is Often quite different. It's not as much around, well, what is the kind of valuation of the the, the specific shareholding or you know unit holding or, or anything like that. It's often around, well, what does the client base look like? Which part of the client base would continue to to stay with with that company? Which portion would depart and and also just a really, there's often a really interesting conversation around who is restrained from talking to who in those contexts. So, in, in a, certainly when the situation deals with a kind of smaller professional service firm, the really interesting and heated conversations are often around the restraints as opposed to the price.
1: Yes, the restraints and who gets to take the clients for professional services. And then, of course, for product services, then, of course, the value is a lot more in the brand, in the um, social media presence.
0: And even in those scenarios, we often see some quite heavy negotiation around restraints in relation to supplier arrangements to make sure that the exiting partner doesn't just you know go to the key supplier and encourage them to to no longer deal with the the original business
1: or to start supplying the new business as well and then basically the same products start to come on the market
0: correct correct mm. often what lawyers do during these processes is first of all explain the legal boundaries to the client so that they understand what they should and what they shouldn't do in the context of these negotiations.
1: And what are those legal boundaries?
0: So, the the, the most common examples are what's in the company constitution, what's in the relevant shareholders agreement, unit holders agreement, Uh, partnership agreement. But also, in addition to the contracts that that govern the relationship, something that parties often don't turn their mind to is in the context of a corporate structure, directors have director's duties and they've got to make sure that they're acting in the best interests of, of the company, for example. And Often in, when there are some very heated negotiations taking place, sometimes people who are wearing a, a director's hat, so to speak, they have to be very careful with their conduct to make sure that they don't do anything which could be perceived as not being in the best interests of the company or something which they've done to try to obtain a, a personal benefit. And we see in those situations where a director is a bit cavalier around those duties, it shifts the leverage because all of a sudden there's a potential director's duties breach that they're liable for, and the other side will likely use that as a bit of a bargaining chip to try to get better terms. So, that's one example. Another example is... Under the Corporations Act, there is a certain provision which basically contains a an ability for a court to make an order if there's any kind of conduct that's oppressive or unfairly prejudicial to a shareholder. And look, stripping back all the, the legal jargon with it, essentially what it means is… Directors and shareholders have to be very careful that their conduct doesn't fall within these specific provisions of the Corporations Act, because if their conduct does fall foul of those um, those provisions, then similarly to the director's duties breaches, those matters can be used against them as leverage in the conduct of um, negotiations. But also, separately, they could face some kind of court action as a consequence. So, taking it back, I guess, to your original question around, well, what's, what's the role of lawyers here? I think the first and paramount duty of the lawyer is to explain, hey, look, based on the documents you have in place for, for this particular business and based on the relevant legislation, these are the boundaries. Make sure you stay within these boundaries. If you feel as though the other side are doing anything that exceeds those boundaries, let us know and and we can, you know, that may inform our strategy.
1: So, should you resign as a director before you negotiate your exit from a company?
0: Yeah, it's a a complex question because being a a director, it's a bit of a double-edged sword um, because it does provide you with in most cases, it provides you with an important decision-making role. So, on one hand, it can be quite beneficial, but then on the other hand, directors are subject to very stringent duties. So, provided that you stay within the boundaries of those duties, I wouldn't recommend resigning because often under a company constitution or other other documents, directors can be given quite significant rights.
1: Has anything changed under the pandemic?
0: The COVID-19 pandemic has been adding a bit of fuel to the fire of a lot of these kind of business owner disputes. A couple of the reasons as to why I think that is happening is, well, first of all, there's increasing uncertainty in business outlook Obviously, it varies industry by industry, but those conditions do um, you know create a little bit of anxiety for for business owners, which yeah, is often front of mind. And another reason is there's often quite rapid changes to government restrictions which can impact businesses, which once again creates a bit more chaos for business owners to deal with. Another factor that we've seen is, there's a lot more communication via technology rather than via face-to-face meetings. And that can often cause people to say or do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do if they're having conversations face-to-face. And I guess the the final factor that we're, we're kind of seeing in that regard is there's a lack of uh, escape for a lot of business owners. Previously, before the, the pandemic came around, it was usually quite easy for a business owner to go overseas for a holiday or to, you know, take some leave, where what we're seeing more and more of is business owners just continuing to work through. Because, you know, if we're in some kind of restricted uh, environment, why would I take leave now? May as well just focus on the business. I can't go overseas. There's a lot of that kind of mentality. And the combination of all those factors, I guess, my speculation with it is it's just creating a more tense environment for business owners and it's far less conducive to you know, a very simple and amicable exit.
1: I can imagine there's a lot of truth to that. A, things are being said online by email that – you probably with hindsight shouldn't have said and then also this no escape it really i can imagine very much changes the mental state of people i think when you have a dispute with your business partner in normal times and then you go and play in your soccer team or you go to a party or something then your perspective shifts and you don't feel so worked up about it anymore but then if you don't have that and you're just stuck where you are, and you have this dispute, then your mind just doesn't let go. Coming back to you, mentioned something before, and that is uncertainty in outlook. And I would love to uh, link that back to the valuation. I can imagine it is incredibly difficult at the moment to value certain businesses, and it's actually a very bad time to value a business if you are the seller.
0: And we're seeing that in kind of both directions because there are some businesses that we've been involved with that have had a real spike in profitability due to COVID. And the question there is, well, is that sustainable? (laughs) Um, And if it isn't sustainable, then how does that impact the valuation? And if it is sustainable, then how does that impact the valuation? But you're right, in that counterfactual scenario where the business values just have been absolutely hit as a result of the pandemic, it's uh, it's a bit of a nightmare at the moment trying to achieve, I guess, an amicable agreement on price where in ordinary times, yeah, the valuation process might have been a little bit smoother.
1: And I can imagine that will also add fuel to the fire because even an independent valuer, I don't think is really in a position to value any business, be it going strong or not going strong because- as what you said, the uncertainty in outlook is just so high at the moment that it's almost impossible to to value something.
0: It's just a, another hurdle for um for business owners who are in a bit of a dispute to to climb over. Um, yeah, it becomes quite challenging.
1: And then I wanted to ask you about basically practical tips. A practical tips at the very start before you go into business with business partner or a relative or a friend. And then also practical tips. If you feel that the road gets more rocky in your relationships, the communication gets more economical and you don't seem to have the bond anymore that you used to have, what to do to prevent a bad breakup?
0: At the start, the clear answer that I can give you on that is set the boundaries up front have the conversations during the honeymoon phase about what the expectations are and what should happen if you know there's any disruption to the business whether that's death a dispute or a third party coming along to offer, you know, a, a great sum of money for the business, decision making, all of those standard suite of considerations that come up in shareholders agreements, partnership agreements, unit holders agreements, have those conversations up front. And it is remarkable how often people say, "Ah, oh, yep, I understand it's important to do that but it's not going to be an issue with us or I know this person better than anyone. We'll be fine. We've worked together for years. Oh, it's my brother-in-law. Like, we're fine. It's my ABC. We hear that every time. And just as frequently when it turns into a dispute, we hear the I wish I had have done it. <laughs> Um, So, uh, irrespective of how good the relationship is up front, this is ultimately like car insurance. You don't get it because you think you're going to go outside and drive and have an accident. You get it because ultimately, it's worth having the protection in place in case an Armageddon scenario unfolds. So, that's my advice for up front. And... In terms of when things start getting a little bit rocky, my advice would be to remember that it's business at the end of the day. Remember that ultimately, allowing your personal emotion to get involved or creating a sense of animosity is probably just going to make it harder for you to achieve your objectives. Keep in mind what's at stake Uh, failing to strategically navigate the dispute can just create unnecessary pain for everyone. And final piece of advice for when you're in that rockier territory is know the boundaries from a legal perspective because uh, the biggest pain that we see people suffer in these scenarios is when they've accidentally committed some kind of breach of a contract that was signed or a constitution or legislation and it just makes their bargaining position a lot worse. So, understand those legal boundaries too but that'd be my tips for the rockier times.
1: Do you get a lot more phone calls at the moment about business breakups?
0: I would say it's been relatively steady. However, the tone is is quite different. I think with the challenges of the pandemic, people are- it becomes easier for things to become very inflamed very quickly. So, there may be a consistent amount of spot fires, but they're turning um, very big and very nasty a lot quicker.
1: Because people are on edge.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely right.
1: Are most of your clients the prudent ones who do the paperwork at the start? Or are most of your clients the ones who come when the house is on fire?
0: Probably about 60% of our clients come to us to sort everything out up front. However, most of those clients who are sorting out up front still have the it's not going to be us kind of mentality but you know they still recognize we should have something in place which is which is sensible and then the 40% is where things have unfortunately disintegrated between business partners and they're looking towards the the exit
1: do they come to you when both parties are still talking to each other or do they tend to come to you when the plates are flying
0: Usually when the plates are flying, (laughs) Um, because in these scenarios, in terms of the separation, the role of the lawyer in kind of finalising whatever has been agreed between the parties, the, the clients can either say, hey, look, we've reached the agreement between us and the agreement is ABC, or they can come to the lawyer and say, hey, I don't like what's happening here, I need some advice. But it's far more common that people come to us uh, seeking advice when things are a little bit messy.
1: Do you usually have a lawyer on the other side? So, then basically just the lawyers talk to each other?
0: The lawyer-to-lawyer communication in these kind of matters is very important because it does create a little bit of a buffer and it's easier to kind of remove the personal side of things when, you know, there are lawyers interposed and, rather than one of the business partners saying something inflammatory to it directly to the other business partner it's often said to their lawyer and their lawyer will pass that information in a non-inflammatory way across to the other lawyer who will pass that in a non-inflammatory way across to their client so yeah it it certainly helps to create that buffer and and often it helps as well for both parties to hear from lawyers how much it is going to cost if you don't sort this out (laughs) Um, where it's harder for, you know, a business partner to have that, to set that reality with with the other business partner directly.
1: And I guess when you pay your lawyer per hour, then you are more willing to sort this out quickly.
0: There's a lot of incentives that get created when when lawyers are involved, so… Yeah.
1: And talking about fees per hour, how quickly does get something like this resolved? Is it usually resolved within days or weeks or does it easily drag into months or years?
0: The bad ones can take years because the bad ones often end up requiring the intervention of court where the parties are so hopelessly disconnected that you know they have to go off to court. Court processes can take quite some time. And usually, to justify seeking the assistance of the, the court, it would, uh, it would generally have to be quite a lucrative business because otherwise, the legal costs would end up being worth far more than what they were fighting over. I'd say for these kind of arrangements, the average would sit between two and three months from initial mud being slung and and lawyers getting involved all the way through to the departing party has actually exited from the business. Um, There's certainly sometimes it's quicker where everyone's amicable and pragmatic. Sometimes it's longer where people are fighting on principle, but yeah, roughly around two to three months.
1: Welcome back. So you both save a lot of money if you sort this out between you and don't require lawyers. In the next episode, episode 313, Damien Lehman of Andreev Lawyers in Sydney will talk about building on land you don't own. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.